Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hey folks, DJ here. I just want to take some time to talk about Werewolf the Apocalypse Retaliations by Flyles Games. This soon-to-launch game is brought to you by the same team that's bringing you Vampire the Masquerade chapters, and they just released a trailer to go along with it. We at 25 invite you to check it out at werewolfthepocalypse-retaliation.com to catch a peek at the trailer and be updated of when it'll appear on Kickstarter, which seems to be early 2022. The game promises to have everything that made chapters endearing to us, the fans, including scenarios, investigations, beautiful miniatures, and more. With that, thanks for your time. Hello, everybody, and welcome to 25 Years Vampire the Masquerade presents Werewolf Project Twilight. Um, why I say it that way is because, consequently, Project Twilight's really a hunter book. works for Vampire, where I believe we went over the updated versions of that promise to go back to this. And um, uh, we haven't really fully discovered if we hadn't covered this book top to bottom like we wanted to anyway. But we definitely did from a vampire perspective. Um, across a couple um, things, because it kind of goes everywhere. But Werewolf is also included in Project Twilight, as you'll notice. Wraith will be too. And uh, where they don't is Mage, and that's more or less because the Arcana are kind of the group for that. And you really don't hunt Mage, right? You don't. People who warp reality tend not to get caught by John PQ Frog Brothers, right? So that's uh, uh, it tends to be that the way that goes. But <clears throat> before we get started, of course, some uh, uh, a switcheroo here. We got the ever charismatic Nick. Hi. See? And of course, Mike. Diana Mike. What's good, Joe? Cool. And then uh, and then there's me, newly minted as Robert Boat, as, uh, as that's going to be my legally changed name. Is it just got married? No, no. No, thank you. Save your applause, because I can't hear you anyway, whoever you are. Um, so, uh, but do, <laughs> do thank you for that. Um, to that effect, this is a, a new type of podcast. Some of us, due to COVID and just distance... Um, all the way in Sweden, they're all the way in the States, and they couldn't be for that bachelor party. Therefore, we're doing a first ever shirtless podcast. That's right. It's a podcast where Nick got up at 5 in the morning to be on here, Mike's at 3 in the morning, and I'm at the blessed hour of I Got Some Sleep, thank you for the gift, and actually doing a podcast where I am alert, so we're going to do this. <laughs> uh, but we got to do it shirtless, was the rules. You may be wondering why shirtless. I challenge you, why not? That's the point. Have a difference has to mean something. I would argue that most of the podcasts to date have been bottomless, at least on my part. <laughs> there is a didn't go down that low. There's a freedom in this format. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that's, uh, and uh, it's cold here to let you know the sacrifice. I have to open my window to stop the reverb uh, here. Nice big, like, bass style window. And uh, it's Sweden, folks. It is not warm. <laughs> awesome. So, anyway. To get into Project Twilight, we're not going to go through the the typical, right? I don't feel we ever do. You don't do a Hunter book justice by going, here's what it's like being a human in the FBI. And that's what... Nah, I think you can do the math and do the work in your own place. There's tons of shows that do FBI, whatever the hell. You can, and, and, oh, 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 wait a minute. Behavioral Science Unit? There's shows that are still going on doing that nonsense. We can, can skip all that. But why we're talking about behavioral science and the FBI... Because Project Twilight really governs an organization that stands tall and heavy, heavily detailed. And that's the Special Affairs Division. Now, before we dive into SAD, as it stands for, and I think there's a reason it's called SAD, FYI. Nice choice. They're not meant to live, folks. Look what they go after. But there's also the NSA, you know, National Security Agency that's uh, dictated in here. Uh, they talk about several organizations you can make it from, i.e. the trope book that's the Philosopher's Stone for being government hunters 
is Project Twilight. Therefore, you V5 fans, you're wondering where the Second Inquisition came from. Here is your beginning. This is the first seated book that kind of showcases the founding of what the Second Inquisition is going to evolve to. Now, this isn't the only book. You still have a uh, an illustrious uh, like Inquisitor's book, Inquisition-style book that they have before this, but, but, but that's not this book. Point is, that's more to a religious bent. This is the religion sans it. It's out, it's out the way. Not 100% because there's some things that blend, but this is, this is the point. Now, you may be saying in V20 we have the updated book too that does the Hunters, Hunters 2 and all that fun stuff. Thanks. Yes, that exists. What this is, though, is the werewolf perspective. Now, when you open up Project Twilight book, you're not going to get, oh, werewolf section. Doesn't exist. This book is written in format to be a combination of in-character fun stuff that you could do how they see it and kind of samples and templates you could use for handouts or missives or, or formatting uh, to run this organization in the world of darkness as the authors intended. Therefore, it's a book that's timeless and it's value because when you get to the updated Hunter Hunters books and they're com combining them, putting them together in a project, or excuse me, in the, the second inquisition, they haven't released that book yet. I'm told that that's in the works, like no doubt you'll have a book on it, but you may not see it in the format of story as they do here for Project Twilight. Now, that all being well and good, I should probably say the obvious too. Why is the book called Project Twilight? Why are they called the Second Inquisition, right? Or why would they call people blank bodies or, or refer to stuff like that? Because it's government code stuff. <laughs> it's, it's funny worded coded stuff. Project Eggplant actually involves nuclear things. And why is that? Well, because you spy stuff. Who the hell knows? That's it's coded shit. Like, I don't know. But Project Twilight's pretty cool. I mean, I think it's a cool name. It's, it's eye-catching. So without further ado, though, uh, what we're going to get into is the fact that when you have a special affairs division, and we're going to add this. We know they're FBI. So aren't they just FBI agents? Nay, nay. They're special investigative branch that has another special investigative area that does even more special investigative things, right? And to this end... Um, where you, instead of going after taxes, they hunt down the weird, the unknown. That's correct, folk. They're the X-Files of the entire thing. That's that's really what they are. And it's an easy way to do it. Now, I will say they pulled from X-Files for a lot of the feel of this. And uh, I don't know if you guys agree about that, but I'm going to turn it over to... And it's open. I think everybody your whistles wet wondering what this is, and we'll get into things werewolf. But what was the feel of this book from so far organizational-wise? Did it do it justice? Do you think it's enough of a standout to be interesting to portray something from this? Or did you feel they missed the mark? I think uh, really at the end of the day, they, this is just them compounding on, on Hunters Hunted, right? And they, they wanted to build a book that, that kind of focused on what is, without question, got to be the X-Files side of things, just the way you talked about it, this phase of of the world at the time x-files was a new hotness and the crazy agent sitting in the basement um who believes in all of these things that don't make sense and he's trying to draw massive conclusions to it you don't have to be uh you know like an amazing writer to say oh this would totally fit in the world of darkness no it's just a natural conclusion that this thing is going to be in the world of darkness so when they build this book and they create these agents and then they say well in the world of darkness that super crazy stuff is going to be more. There's just going to be more of it. So building an entire division of crazy, spooky Mulder foxes uh, makes <laughs> all the sense in the world. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like they give me everything I need um, in my uh, director's toolbox. You know, I like to think of every, everything in terms of like film or uh, RPG video game. And it's you can just open Project Twilight, right, and point at a page and there will be something topical where I could run Monster of the Week for whoever showed up to my house to eat up my food. Um, <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, and it's nothing, you know, and it's at the same time thorough. I, I, I dig it. I, I enjoy that very much. And um, to this end, how the chapter layouts, we'll just go over this uh, pretty smooth and uh, quick here. Um, you're going to start with the fact that go over whoever's hunts monsters, which is quick. You're right to the character creation for government agent characters, which is the focus of this book. However, uh, they bring it down to the FBI, and it's a special affairs department near a parintelligence agency. Parintelligence meaning supernatural, right? Paranormal, parintelligence. It's insight into things that shouldn't exist. And we're mortals, and we watch them. Now, to that end, the intelligence half of it is the high-tech intelligence is the National Security Agency. They have a branch that deals with that, too, as i.e. the NSA is aware of them, and they watch the watchers. You wonder why the masquerade so highly enforced for vampires? It's these guys. They don't miss a step. They keep all that info to know the enemy they face to try to find them. And then last but not least, they give insight into the CIA, you have the CDC, and a couple other government agencies and their low level of what they learn about how deep does it get. And you'll learn that there's some, a lot of these places, they're, they're infiltrated. How could they not be? But we say all that because we're getting to the real here. We just want this to be of interest to you guys to understand that this is not um, anything but a book about how to deal with the supernal from a mortal agency perspective this requires a level of ignorance you kind of got to hold when you when you go through this so um typical usages of this book we ran a hunter's game before and it was you guys are all going to play special agents from government agencies and the backgrounds are going to be uh, well could be very cold war cold war cold war you could be an fbi agent who's not aware that there's a special affairs division yet you're this field specialist assigned to this team and you don't know exactly what they're going after but your orders are orders you're not here to question it at the same time you could be a member of the nsa who's mass who's moonlighting as some sort of fake agency reason why you're around the department of the special affairs division and doesn't disclose everything and you know assignments go accordingly this is the the effective process of what you have going on and that's, that's a fun way to do it. You could do it that way. But that's so that you're getting involved in the politics agents if you're looking that. Usually, you're going to be a group of agents to go investigate a paranormal thing. And what this book really gives the opportunity is to take maybe a typical masquerade-bending situation and pull the vampire players out of being vampires and be the people investigating how this looks to mortal investigators coming on scene to see what a sabbat war was about. And what they could figure out happened and how these things went. How does your supernal strength impact a wall or what have you? Or a fire seemingly set from nowhere on steel. Because someone had, you know, lower flames or whatever it might be. They're there to pick up that information. However, they work with teams, right? So you'll have normal forensics go over a scene. And then the info they get doesn't make any sense. Well, do they just shuffle that off and delete it? And like, I guess bad stuff happened to good people? Well, well no, not at all. Silly. Uh, what's going to happen at that point is that someone's going to sit with this uh, cold case. and Because a cold case just means they have no more leads. It doesn't mean the case is closed. It means we can't find any leads from this. But there's still someone. Some poor bastard gets assigned cases that, you know, 
Nick's a really good investigator, and he spun the wheels on as far as he could get here. So we're going to turn over to Mike. Fresh eyes, fresh chance, have fun, Mike. And however many months or years it takes Mike to crack on that until he earns the right to get a new case, guess what? He's trying to figure it out. Well, the Special Affairs Division is a, is a group of people who gets trickle-down cases. They all tend to fit this parameter. You hit a dead end, run into Special Affairs. And let's see what they think if it meets their criteria. And that's a way to do it. But what this gives you the power to do is to run some pretty impactful, good games. And we don't need to get into that because you understand that's what's in this book. What we want to talk about, why the hell should werewolves ever fear Project Twilight? And to that end, I'm going to attack you both with it, right? We love People love playing werewolves. They're the heroes, right? Aren't they the good guys? Oh, yeah. They run around and they kill the worm. They burn down buildings. So why would Project Twilight ever want to arrest a werewolf? And how would they even do it? Well, as it turns out, uh, SAD is is almost uh, entirely funded because of werewolves. And, and the reason comes all the way down to like a very particular case um, in which there's a, there's a senator. And the senator's like granddaughter ends up getting kidnapped by wolves in the middle of a party. And then, uh, you know, like a, a few days later, he ends up seeing another wolf come by that's like wearing the same choker as his granddaughter. And the guy just immediately, this uh, this uh, Senator Grubhold, just looks at it and says, I I, uh, I don't know where these wolves came from. I don't know what's going on, but I, I know about this special affairs division in the FBI. I know they're into the crazy stuff, but they've been having a massive problem with funding. So I'm going to take all of my power, all of my influence to make sure they get all the funding they need to find where my granddaughter went. In reality, he's a kinfolk. She's a kinfolk who ended up turning, you know, into a full-blown guru. They came and they got her. Kinfetch spirit said, there she is. And then somebody, the wrong person, had his granddaughter taken, and that's all it took. All the it good took. guys is a missing persons report. And so we have here, it's a beautiful, beautiful take on that's exactly what happens when you don't, the process doesn't work. When your kin fetch isn't on time and it, you grab someone powerful, like connected, grand, grandpappy misses his granddaughter and no wolf is going to take her, right? And yep. you, the matter if she's a werewolf, it's, he didn't know, and you're not supposed to tell him because that's the way it works. Now, but let's look at this one, Mike. I'll give you the complex one. You're one who likes to to do, you know, gift stats, powers. It's sort of like your wheelhouse is the resident. We say Kano, but really, you're a guy who likes to know about the rules and how they work and how it might look. What happens to the typical fight a werewolf gets into, right? I'll give you a scenario. It's Times Square. Like the absolute worst place to have a fight. But no werewolf pack is going to shy away from the fact this worm being chooses to manifest and come through here. And it has the power to possess the people shopping, tourists included, and they start tearing apart other tourists. And it turns out whoever they kill makes it to where they're houseable by another Fomori and to mutate at the last minute. You know, the war, the beast of war gives them a choice, death or power. And who's not going to choose power and how little would that go? And as this is coming along, you got to deal with this now. New York houses millions. So the werewolves jump and they eradicate and kill everything. The big baddie, so much damage, and it's done. Well, how would Project Twilight get involved here, and what actually happens here on behalf of the werewolves for the scene? Like, what helps them stay hidden, if anything? Well, so what your what your young or at least inexperienced werewolf player is going to say is, "Oh, I've got the the delirium on my side, and I'll be okay." Right? We're going to jump stupid, but all of the people who can be affected by that, they're just going to go crazy, and they're not going to remember, and everything will be just fine. And the people who do remember us are probably the people we came to kill. 
we'll be great. Everything's fine. You know what doesn't get the delirium? It's all of those cameras in Times Square right. that watch you and your buddies morph into nine-foot-tall fur beasts of rage and then start going sick house. But right. um, let's add to that. We have people who are being killed and then for whatever reason being reanimated by the influence of the worm in this space. Well, I wonder how hard it's going to be for a sad to get some more funding when they have to explain to the CDC what kind of virus virus was reanimating dead bodies in a major metropolitan center. Right. And then add that's to the fact, perfect. Whatever you're fighting, depending on the nature of it, it may not show up on the camera. Although you do. But if this is a, right. a spiritual enemy. Right. Well, then to anybody who's watching the footage, it just looks like you guys are great big mutant terrorists who left eastbound on 65th Street um, via subway line. And that's all that SAD needs to do to potentially um, shatter your whole veil and follow you back to a cairn. Right. And then it, it doesn't take much, man. It, it, it doesn't. Because although you are a werewolf who can exist on both sides of the veil, once you pick one, that's the side you got to deal with the consequences of. And uh, sad is really, really good on this side. <laughs> and so to that end, we understand the dilemma for werewolves and how Project Twilight gets involved. And, and of course, in this book, they do have cases like the senator's one. Another one is it's scenes from a downtown shop during the under a blood red moon. The instance where the in the vampire book, the vampires are attacked by the werewolves. Well, guess what? A werewolf didn't give a damn, dove through a department window and tried to kill what they assume was loaded in that scene. And, and they, they take all sorts of imagery from it. It's not the only footage they have, but it's strangely, it's the only footage left. Like they talk yeah. about during the course of going over that investigation, the difficulties in getting any fragment of evidence from there, which of course is the city using the masquerade and influence to try to erase that and get rid of it, get out of their hands. And they have an unbelievable photo is what they have. Much like you said, a werewolf on camera and then, you know, the vampire that was, they were attacking and what they were there to do. And they can't explain it. They don't know what's going on. But Project Twilight, or i.e., in its totality, all the government agencies have a version, but it's Special Affairs Division that has their very own crazy agent Mulder. What's his name again? Well, he's he, he's not with the um, it, he's not with the SAD, unfortunately. He's uh, he's in the CIA, and his name, of course, is Bob Schnoblin. and we know him because he's a fucking hero and a legend. Now, the Bob Schnoblin file is looked at as an insane guy. Right, and I remember because you remember me and Nick talking about this. I remember us going over this like, like it must have been a year ago or more, maybe even, where we were ripping on the fact that Bob Schnoblin has a file, and on that file he has like Satan and and some other buddy, someone else listed in there that's just off the chain crazy that he has. It's like, uh, but the cool the cool thing about this file is that as he puts aliens, Satan, and and lizard people. Uh, up on the list of folks to watch and look out for, and he believes they're here. He's really trying to take this cold para evidence, piece it together, and try to warn people that stuff is there. Like, he gets close to calling things by what they are on that yep. list and trying to get people to believe in it, but they're only half-truths because he doesn't have the full picture. But it's enough for someone like the NSA to influence departments to get them to develop something like field agents and another department that has this unknowable backing to go and pursue things. And that's where that's where SAD kind of comes in. They're there to be able to investigate this stuff in field to have a very, very interesting time. 
and how we put that, in the case of what the serum we gave Mike, they get to that scene in New York, they're going to see some claw marks for sure, right? From, yep. from entities that shouldn't. No bear is cleaving into cement by the inches and rolling cars or whatever's going to go on with that or cleaving people in twain just because in Times Square. There'd have to be a reason. Someone might get mauled. Imagine an escape bear in Times Square, no doubt might hurt somebody. But it's first going to freak out and run to work and find safety. Where it can operate and get a sense of peace to understand its surrounding. And if it does that, well, anybody who comes down into that place is now going to defend its home. So that's where you're going to find like a killing ground or a defensive stance or whatever. And most likely, that's where the good old boys in blue are going to nest off an area and then unfortunately pull animal control in there to try to handle it. And good luck animal control, right? That's, right. that's a story unto itself. But... Because it's where I was in their intelligent, they're going through doing what they do. You also have the problem where, let's say that pack isn't inexperienced. They're going through trying to cover up as they go. If they're not good at getting rid of the evidence that people are going to get after the fact coming up, you're you're in trouble. And so because now it looks like whatever these entities are, they're intelligent enough to try to cover what they were doing. And we could see that and trace it with the way forensics exists. And because of that, that sends a terrifying stab into the heart of the government. Wait, we don't control what this is, we can't catch these these entities. We don't know what they are. That's not good. But at the same time, we cannot create a panic. We can't tell the public at large this is real. Because then we are telling them we don't have control. And that's that's the point. So what That's one here? of the best parts about this game, man. Like it when you go when you go through this book and and it, it breaks it right out in the introduction, and starts talking about, you know, like uh like interesting ideas about how the government is just as bad for the general populace as any of the other forces in the world of darkness. As much as like the technocracy, the Camarilla, um, you know, the the monkey wrenchers, Pentex, like all these different pieces that are working together toward the same goal, but ineffectually, right? So right. It, they're they all have their own masquerade of some sort. Even even the government is pulling this information and funneling it off to these organizations to make sure that it doesn't hit the public eye because of the exact reason you just talked about. They have the shadow war on supernaturals, I guess is the best way to put it. As soon as they can figure out that somebody, not them, has the ability to manipulate and do the things that they believe they have the right to do, then it becomes a, a power struggle. And then it becomes a shadow war. And we're all too familiar with shadow wars because that's what, you know, everything that happened after the World War II was for 30 years, you know. So it's uh, it's almost like that was training for our war on the supernaturals. And they, they break that down at different uh, key points. The people they recruited from are experts in shadow wars. Each of these organizations is like handpicking these people who are specifically meant to uh, to kind of like uh, cover up and misdirect and and redefine things, it's uh, I, I I think it's a stroke of genius because where like as a storyteller I would I would look at a situation where there was a massive breach or of of the veil or the masquerade or or whatever there was and be like well how does this not possibly hit the newspapers oh yeah well because the government <laughs> like there's there's people in power. They're going to move this information off to the side and give you the official story, and it's it's not even going to hit it. But what does happen then immediately is you have your alphabet soup investigators immediately showing up on site and sniffing around clues that you didn't mean to get left behind. You know, why do the vampires want to cover up for the werewolves? Because 
when Sad shows up in town, they start pulling at all the threads, and those might be my threads too. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's the big hook for playing this style of game to me, right? Because part of the character creation process is saying, oh, um, what was your brush with the supernatural? Um, what is your professional background? Why are you so good at what you do and have touched this other side deeply enough um, that you find yourself here at this table playing these roles? Um, because when I build up this idea of who I'm playing with in my head, and then I show up to that scene and I'm not just investigating a place where it looks like a bomb went off, but somebody right. skillfully tried to hide the fact that a bomb went off. Who could, right? <laughs> and then why did they <laughs> think do they would beat me? And then you, you're off to the races. That's that's the hook. Yep. That's the hook of this game to me. And with that hook and game, though, uh, we, let's let's walk that through and progress a little further. So now we know where to go, and we know that the uh, what, what's the delirium then? Like, if the delirium was meant to make them forget, right? Isn't that what the delirium was for? Well, I wouldn't say forget, man. At, at the end of the day, the delirium is designed to uh, to allow people to wrap their own heads around, uh, you know, what happened. So they make up the excuse. They basically do their own propaganda pamphlet of what just happened here. Oh no, it had to have been this because what I think is, is, is probably great is if somebody manages to push their way through the delirium, right? For some odd reason, wherever they go, they're driving through like down the I-95 and suddenly, you know, there's there's werewolves running across the road in full Krenos throwing cars and they're like, oh no, what happened? You know, bears attack. And then this happens like five times this month where these crazy events just keep happening to this person. At some point, their mind's like doing this weird jingle jangle and the puzzle pieces start snapping together in a weird way. Where they're like, maybe maybe it wasn't a bear. Maybe it was like a giant wolf man. Like I, I think it was, made, might have been a giant wolf man. And then you, you got to... You got to imagine that their mind just slowly starts to deteriorate at that point because now we're opening the possibilities. Now we're in Alex Jones territory, I mean, right? It's, and right. It's, it's like a, it's like when a they dream. start making up these excuses, it, it was not a dream. Well, no, no. But when they start making up these excuses, it starts to sound like madness, and maybe it becomes a bit of madness. Maybe they do become the rambling veteran, you know, in the homeless community, you know, like uh, talking in the streets about how they are all out to get us. So the, the reason I say it's like a dream is because whenever, whenever I try to rationalize a delirium, it's like dreaming. It's like describing a dream to somebody going through the whole description of whatever the events were and just completely leaving out the fact that for the whole dream, you were underwater. Right. The people <laughs> you're talking to can hear one another. You don't describe any sensation of being wet. But in your mind's eye, when you think of the dream, it appeared to be happening at the bottom of a pool or something. And you just leave it out until eventually one day somebody asks you, by the way, were you able to breathe in this dream or could you see the sun? And then you have to say, oh, wait a minute. I, I suppose I was at the bottom of a pool while this dinner party played out. That's, that's the sensation can, I would have with a delirium falling into place. And with that, it's understanding what the word delirium means, right? Just to make sure we're speaking it from. The simple fact is delirium is exactly what you both are describing, right? It's the mind's inability to rationalize what is happening, and it, it creates a confused mental state, right? It's one where they're trying to um, basically keep the brain operating on the world they understand is real. 
that's what it is. When suddenly something different is there, it's a shock. Add to the fact that there's a historical precedent for the delirium, and that is that uh, even though it comes on sudden and everybody experiences it, their own mind and intellect and will are coming to factor as to will they accept it or will they not accept it. But this comes from the impergium. The reason why the Wolfman form doesn't make you go, wow, there are Wolfman in the world, um, is because we were hunted. It's, it's, in our, it's in our DNA about what they did to us as in from the world side of things to try to make sure we didn't get out of hand. And we that, that stress and fear of us might dying, that's as the werewolves make you make sense of what the delirium actually is. Now, I think they're ridiculous, personally. I think werewolves are just insane. When it comes down to that, that you're telling me something that happened into the you're saying the DNA, you're so badass and fearful that our very DNA remembers what you are. How about this? The same delirium effect will happen to anybody who was born in New York City and they went camping with a friend out in Canada and they wake up and a moose is standing over their tent. Delirium gonna happen to him too, right? You're gonna have real strong issues trying to figure out that moose. The moose is, what's going on? It's huge. Why? How can anything in the world be that big? And if they can't rationalize it, listen to them tell the story, right? The moose they live, the moose goes away, everything else, and the story gets more grandized and more details get mentioned. Why? Adrenaline wears off, right? That, that state of fight or flight does its number on you. He couldn't remember possibly everything he's actually looking at. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like gets these jitters, his mind's trying to, trying to freak out, but it holds together because in school, he learned that moose are real. He knows they're here. In the back of his mind, hammered in thought, he knows what's in front of him. However, at the moment, all oh, that's terrifying. So you get an idea of what the delirium does. Now, you've never seen the, the, the Krinos werewolf in your existence, right? You've never seen that. So when you do, your mind knows it's in danger, knows it's fucked, right? Because that's there. Because why wouldn't it come to tear you up? Werewolves don't go Krinos. And my pet peeve is when they sit around and they're like, well, we're in Krinos. I'm going to open up a can of beans. Gonna kind of make a pot of beans in the fire for everybody. Won't that come in handy? And then, like, the Jungle Book starts playing, you know? <laughs> what is it? They're gonna be a lot like you. Walk like you and me. Me. Like, old Baloo comes out. <laughs> me too. Don't forget the werebears. You know, like, coming and doing their thing. That's not Kronos. Kronos has a rage you're supposed to be able to feel. And it radiates from this entity. It has trouble speaking in a human tongue because it's, it's, it's lost to a primitive power that's there. And it's showcasing to do harm where they can maintain it indefinitely that rage is supposed to be a force that's often not role-played by the players who take that form they overlook it it's just a source of power in that set and when they do there's no way they can conceive or understand what the delirium is right the delirium is not guys sitting around going oh no baby you can't be out that way them, them children just don't understand what you what you're doing you just going to terrify them <laughs> right just get on, get on over here i'll take care of these children you go on and defend me like you're supposed to that's not gaia you know what guy is guy is the inevitable guy is that prized kitten that's left out alone at night that runs into that doberman who jumped the leash but didn't get his alpo and then instinct takes a hold of him and that cat goes and the dog's like, yep, keep me out. It's hard to see you at night, but I sure can smell you. Nobody by you, huh? Yeah, that's got to suck. Well, I got this pool of water sitting over here in the gutter I've been nursing all day today. I got to get the gritted dirt out of my mouth. You know what gets it out? Blood. And then instinct takes over, and he rips apart that cat. It's dead. It's dead in a few bites, and the Doberman's pissed, but he sure does love that kitty. 
Is there other defenseless animals that couldn't possibly, you know, fend me off I could find immediately? Maybe I got lucky. It's not one kitten. The mom who gave pregnancy is dead under a bush somewhere, and nobody found her because it's the last kitten of the litter to get out. And they couldn't see where she crawled away to die because that's an instinct she has, is to be out of the way when she passes. And so the kitten is just mewling out and alone. That's Gaia. That's instinct. She invented all that in nature to take care of itself. And when you lose sight of that, and you lose sight of the delirium, and it being a mechanism that we have as humans, as victims and seeing what should not be there, you begin to understand the fear that has always has supposed to been in Werewolf the Apocalypse. It was supposed to always be there. They fight something worse, though, is the point. Now, why do worm entities not inflict the delirium by the book? Well, I'm going to help you out with that. That's because worm entities are already so jacked up and messed up that when you see them, odds are you're dead. There's no one to survive it. There is no aftermath. And when you do, derangement is almost a certainty, let alone PTSD and what's worse. So they, they, have a, they have a far direct impact on it. So where you have delirium as a world from afar, like Nick said, driving to work, oh man, the bear pack's out. Do-do-do-do-do. I like that. That's very cute. And you can imagine it. The dad going, no, no, honey, those are bears. You know, bears are pack animals sometimes. And here she is in her YouTube animal planet going, Bears do not like to hunt in groups because they're omnivores and eat whatever they... Dad? You know, like, but they just, the important man just said they don't, but it's salmon time, and fighting when they're hunting, right? There's some counter influence, like, shut up, I'm the adult! And he keeps driving, right? And the worm scores a victory <laughs> in child abuse, right? Whatever you got. I don't know what would happen there, but the delirium is what it is. But to roll forward, now we're investigators, and we come onto a scene, and here I'm going to kind of pitch it to you, Nick, because I know we talked about it a little bit. Um, what tools do we have? We come onto a scene. How do we assess that, uh, for example, if there is a guard staring forward, like a guard post, we'll say it's a military outpost, and the world's going to go in to handle some worm baddie nonsense, whatever, but they get here, and the guards had guns that they never fired, but clearly threateningly presented at some people, who then the screen blurs for a moment, and then these guys look up, and you can't see what it is, but the shadows tell there might have been something tall and big and menacing there. Who knows? It's hard to work out, i.e. they don't even want to believe their own eyes about the, the, the shadow on the wall. But then these guys pull triggers and don't happen, and these trained men get torn apart on film. In the aftermath of this, looking at film and evidence, do what tools do they use to collect more? Do they give you a toolkit that these guys might go through and have, or is it just storyteller makeup and assume you know what they would do? Uh, they do give you a toolkit. I mean, obviously, in, in this book, they have all kinds of, uh, of things that you would expect that they have as a standard practice for, you know, like DNA analysis and, you know, crime scene uh, forensics uh, of all the things that you'd expect, you know, an organization like this to have. But that's not a complete picture um, because these guys are not just uh, a government organization. Otherwise, they would have sent in the normal FBI. Right. Instead, these guys have a particular tool set that most people don't have, and that tool set is Numina. Uh, now, we already know from Numina uh, in Hunters Hunted, you know, it's it's a little bit of special powers, right? So some psychometry, some hedge magic, you know, basic light level supernatural capabilities, things that we'll just say can't be explained, you know, supernatural can't be explained. We, we, we don't know where these guys come from. We don't know why Wiley Bill like goes over, he can touch a gun and suddenly, you know, have details about the scene that we don't have on camera. And, you know, he'd be like, oh yeah, well there's a casing right over here. And he just walks over and he picks it up. It's like, like he just knew all along, 
you know, a, a more suspicious agent would say something like, hmm, maybe he was here. Right. But we know better. <laughs> we know that there's things out in the world that just can't be explained. And we use these tools that other departments might be reticent to use. Now, um, in addition to Numina, though, and I think, Mike, you're about to chime in. Let me pause there. What were you going to say, Mike? Well, no, no. I was just going to say I would be suspicious as hell of the uh, savant who always has something insightful to say every time we show up somewhere and up is down and left is right. <laughs> it's very true. There's a... Uh... In addition, but let's back to those uh, those uh, secrets, right? The insider Cold War effect, like who would say what and how would you report it? Because that's yep. where rank becomes important. If you have a guy, if your commanding officer's tight-lipped, and like, like my favorite thing is to put the guy who appears to be a convict, right? By all walks of life, he's standing there with you and he's given an honorary badge, like he was just badged in and given what he needs. And he's some Native American from wherever they have no idea. But you know what? He's pulled in as a specialist for... Well, what we think to be some weird sort of wolf cult, as they refer to it on paper so they can actually have it in the system. In reality, this guy's coming along doing exactly what Nick said, picking up an object. Uh, this is this is them. This is this is guru blood. And he's like, what's that? It's some Native American word that he uses to describe these skin changers. And he's and this guy just smirks the whole time. Why? He's probably a kinfolk who is upset and jealous he can't be what they are and has a nefarious past. Or what if he is a black spiral dancer kinfolk? And this is what he's doing on behalf of the worm is to hunt werewolves using this group. But the whole group isn't worm tainted, just him. <laughs> yep. But he's hiding behind them, right? He's giving them enough evidence to keep them going. And you begin to understand, right? So the super they have their own supernal powers. Some rare agents do. The other fact, they have cold heart equipment and know-how. And people just weird enough to go look in the odd places to learn that not all things weird are bullshit. And to uh, be able to understand it and piece it together. And to that end, uh, we'll mention a piece of equipment they have on here called a Curlian camera. Now, what's fun about a Curlian camera is that there's a lot of occult mysticism and buildup of what people try to do. It basically was looking to capture energy of an otherworldly variety. Is the whole point of a Curlian camera. We'll dumb this down to auras. It's doing aura reading. But you got to understand, it's a pseudoscience. It's a... It's great that you can talk about it. It's great that you can talk about these rare energies and even show us to them on this thing. But we're not even certain what it is you're telling us that you have. Reality, their emotions are, are worse or something else. And they're a grand plot device, which is what I'll tell you. If a, if Because a, a player, the way they do this in-game, there's a mechanic they take background points to be able to purchase this equipment. And, you know, requisition points. And every mission or what have you, they're going to be able to do this back and forth. And really, they're telling the storyteller what plot devices you're going to let us use to begin to dissolve parts of the puzzle before we get there. Or use on scene to help broaden the story, right? That's the whole taken idea behind it. And this camera's one such item, but by no mean is it exhaustive, right? Night vision goggles, no kidding. Ice bullets, uh, you wanted to get uh, the, the rare FOSS rounds that might be in here. Why? Because on file, we know we're dealing with vampires, and we had to figure out a way to burn them. So here's your one shotgun shell that has dragon's breath that we requisition just in case, right? If you're hunting something and they have fangs, shoot in their direction and run. The team, it, like my favorite part about this book is the perspective of we are not here to win. You're investigators. You were not here to capture Vlad Dracula and bring him home. In fact, if you confirm he's real, get away, get away. We just want to know he's real and know he's there and back off and we'll, we'll build a team to figure out how to deal with that. Because if all the legends are true, you, you're not taking them out. 
I don't care what sniper class you came from. We just, if a bullet could kill them, they probably wouldn't be a threat, is the idea. When you look at the werewolf, and we can't even begin to understand what it is we were hunting when we saw it with our own eyes, and we're only tracing the evidence, this is where danger comes from. But now, still related to werewolf, but let me show you the type of danger. They have an entity in this book that's fun to talk about. It's called Pup Pid, and it's a, a supernal creature all its own. It's, it's something that, they, they, that goes around, and it's a spirit, and it's malignant, and it's uh, sort of created on its own, too. right? It's, uh, they have a whole wanted list in the book of what you can run across and what you can hunt. It's not just worlds. It's not just vampires. As we told you, this book will kind of transcend that. But to save a little time and, and to generate your interest, when these guys go after werewolves, you can get segued. Because if, like Nick said, I'm going after, if it was Times Square... And in Times Square, they run away and they run across somehow chained to Vermont. That's where the evidence goes. And on the road, we see the bear pack run through. And that gets reported by that bad dad to his daughter. And he's freaked out about it because he's seen him two or three times. Well, all right, they're going there. But what you don't understand is that that pack is actually hunting down uh, some other worse thing that came this direction. But when your team got there, they uncovered evidence the werewolves couldn't have found. And one of them was with this Curlian camera. Right, so why they're here fighting this? Why did they ignore this entity that was just waiting in the wings, watching the tragedy unfold on head and did nothing? What is that? What's going on? However, someone in the team's psychic enough that when they touch an item, they get a, an imagery of the high seas or some sort of treasure hunt or some sort of thing that might have come through here, but they don't understand the dreamlike state. And they explain this in dream interpretation. And, you know, and good old Bob Schnoblin wrote down that you might encounter things like this. And they look at the file and uh, your commanding officer goes, screw it. We'll fund it. Take the plane. Go and, go and investigate this bear rumor anyway while you're at it. But uh, follow your lead. See where it goes to. And it runs across this pup pid. And you thought the whole time it was a werewolf. Well, pup pid doesn't have the delirium. Not like it does in a hard mechanic and werewolf. Why? Because for whatever reason, and it's probably because our ancestry's obsession, our, we've always had an obsession with death. Everyone has. When you see a zombie or a skeleton or even a ghost, it, it's expected. You've heard stories about this probably before you were even an adult. You know, and enough of it to be, you know, at least scared. So if Pup Pid's this random ghost that can actually hurt things and hurt people, that's the spirit of a pirate, why wouldn't he be ran into by this agency? And indeed, let's say they do. This is a different investigation of a whole new caliber. And really, before you think of it, how cheesy it's a pirate ghost. They're quick to tell you why it is the way it is, is because it is what the trope was made of, i.e. the neighborhood. It's an urban legend that somehow has power to be what it is. And in Werewolf, you should be able to understand that easily. We talk about the worm and its influences. This is another example. This is just the worm playing on the nightmare fuel that the delirium leaves a vacuum of, and when it can't be explained, this might be an entity that very much is drawn to the carnage worlds leave behind and believe they cover up, and it's part of the damage that happens to them because it wasn't covered up appropriately. As any child of guy will tell you, it's not about the violence you do or who gets killed, it's the aftermath of those left behind. Grief is manipulated by the worm. Tragedy is manipulated by the worm. And this, this becomes some of those powerful things that werewolf players will never understand in why it's haunting their pack and powerful tools for a storyteller to, to birth a new villain for them to hunt down that isn't your typical. And to this end, Project Twilight is the players we're talking about going after the werewolves when really they run into this. Now, if you're the agency and you said, let's look at the pieces. They caused this trauma... They run to take out what appears to be some psycho terrorist cell that somehow worked for Enron at some point. And we don't know what that's about, but we got the bodies, we know the evidence, they're done. 
Let's look into them. That's a whole other team, though, because we have real people who can look up taxes, uh, weapon violations, and all that to go after that Enron, whatever the hell that was. However, we still need to get the bear gang that killed them. We can't have vigilantes. On top of that, what the hell is this this crazy pirate thing you put in my report? Except they're like, I got a curling camera showing you its outline. I have the items. How the hell is there like a ancient century Caribbean coin found in the corpse of a guy who just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time? And he gets done in. What is going on with that? And they have to go find that out and figure it out. This becomes part of the case. But then they're going to say, why is it everywhere this bear pack goes? Something like this is happening in the wake. Do they, do they not realize it or are they causing it? And then you begin to see how this wider branches out to be a shitstorm for werewolves. And why Project Twilight really is an unsung book for being an antagonistic logical uh, consequence for, for not, I won't say sloppy play, werewolves rarely have time to think of a damage plan in the aftermath. But now you understand the importance of a cairn and a sept because they do, right, on their territory. To that end, though, I'll turn it over to you guys. What sort of things can you expect a sept to handle? Like, I often wonder that myself. It's never talked about that werewolves go out and do a mission and it's slaughter town. What does a sept do to clean it up? Well, I can tell you one thing. If they leave a metis body behind, holy crap. <laughs> can you think about the level of what a cairn would have to do to recover that body from whatever uh, worm-ridden pit of despair, um, wherever that body got left behind, to make 100% sure that that body doesn't fall into the wrong hands. Because like any other body, it's going to revert back to its breed form. Metis is going to revert back to a Krenos form body laying on the ground. There couldn't be more evidence of werewolves at that point. They get to poke it, they get to prod it, they get to pull it apart. It, it, it's the worst thing in the world, man. They bring it up here very specifically, like that's going to be a critical thing. But can you, I've never played a werewolf game where that became like a critical focus at, at, at any point whatsoever. Someone's like, oh no, the meta's dropped. And people would be like, oh, we barely got out of there alive. And then they go, all right, well, we've made a call to the Geta Fenris. We need to get that body back. Well, where are they going? It's funny you should ask. Um, they're going to the Morgan in, in New York City. And now, and now that opens it too, because like that's a, that brings up a wide thing. Like, why is it that this is never addressed? Like, why do you think where of this and spend that focus on the aftermath and the threat of mortals and them being discovered? Yep. I I think that the truth is that people don't find. it. Oh, I thought that was rhetorical. Don't, they, they don't find it funny. <laughs> like it's interesting. It's useful. If I'm the storyteller for a werewolf game and I say, all right, um, several things just flipped over taxi cabs on this regular old street in San Francisco. How do I want to deal with that? That's that's fuel for me. But if I'm the player mm-hmm. in the pack, I'm not thinking about uh, what we left behind while we were fighting the Nexus Crawler. I'm just trying to get back to the Sept with my pack intact. Um, but to that end, like, uh, what was the, what is the name of that book with... My 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 uh, granny lady friend uh, Celeste Snowy White Hair whatever her name is there there's more than one werewolf book where they do talk about how certain folks in a sect have a responsibility for smoothing those rough edges with the mortals. It might be a bribe for one guy. Um, it might be literally decades of uh, entrenchment with local nonprofit agencies getting you that boring political cachet that you might need to keep something quiet. Um, I like that you say that. I, I really do. I like that you say that. But the uh, 
the the purpose here is uh you're correct it does exist where they mention it kind of on the side it's hand waved right it's always yeah. hand waved it's like the elders will take care of it well this so and so will have it we ain't got to worry about it because we just we did the we did the hard part so we get to so play. I mean like how does it get brought into your game right it's because we know who these groups are we know about the monkey wrenchers we know about these different organizations that are holding it all together. You know, and nobody's going to play those characters. You know why? Because it is boring. Nobody does want to play those characters. Nobody wants to walk around having to try and, like, hack a Weaver spirit into a mainframe to try and pull, like, these photos that got that got pushed out because, you know, a bunch of Getter Fenris said, screw it, we're here to have fun, lay that hammer down, and, you know, got rid of the worm. And then they came back and they spit on the ground and said, job done, you know. Right, right. Uh, so then, then what happens? You know, obviously all these all these people have to get together because you, you know what's going to come next, right? You're going to get those people sniffing around the cairn. But how does that come into your actual gameplay? Well, suddenly the politics of your tribes becomes critically important at this point, doesn't it? Because somebody's going to owe favors for that job that needs to be done. And I doubt, with all of my heart, I doubt that the elders is just going to take that on the chin like another day, right. you know. There's got to be there's got to be fetishes that are traded. There's got to be favors that are traded. There's got to be tasks that are traded. So when your werewolf players are playing like a bunch of you know jackasses running around, you know, like full bearing their way through everything, at, at some point you just kind of you know, like stop. All right, well it's time for a meeting with the elders. It's time for that comeuppance. You owe people for all the work they're doing, trying to cover up with you in in doing what could only be uh, said as the worst possible job of managing the worm situation that you've been tasked with. And what it is is because we only care about partial litany, right? Everyone right. can quote, kill the worm wherever it dwells, wherever it breathes. But I, I, I do believe there's a part about revealing a Karen. The, the veil yeah. shall not be lifted. <laughs> right? It's important that that's there and understood. So it would be a philodox who would pull people aside and go, we just wrecked shop and we had to actually, we can't chase them. It was like, why? We didn't get them here. Let it go. We can't tear through the city because we're not going to spend whatever time when the cops are going to get here. We got to confuse the information. We got to do what we can to get rid of it. We got to let the elders know because we got to protect them. We're endangering that sept by what we did right here on someone else's territory, especially if it's our own. So you can't yep. shit where you eat. And we'll take all this into consideration, but then steps have to be taken. Now, I know what you're thinking, people listening. I'll play werewolf to cover up investigations. And da, 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 da. You're right. You play werewolf to get hunted. <laughs> That's what you play for. You play thinking while yep. you're taking on a bad guy when you're healing. Who do you think comes for you? And by the way, they're not going to get you. They're going to get to kinfolk who are near your cairn because they can't find the cairn because, you know, rider badges burrow and worse. Stuff hides the cairn as much as it can. But guess what? If that defender who's out there has to suddenly take on uh, the investigators who show up and causes a problem, you're bringing more investigators who know they disappeared right to that area. You're making a threat worse. There's nothing you can do once they get alerted to that territory. No magic in the world is going to keep you hidden from people going cops are down. Now it's investigators are down. The FBI have been shot and killed. You're not terrorists. Welcome to it. And you know what? Yeah. Sad but true. Imagine this is on what is a common trope that's issued where they say, like, I'm just saying a trope because in my experience, every time I played World, for whatever reason, it's near a reservation. It's near a Native <laughs> American reservation and they have guy. I'm like, sure, whatever. 
and, and you deal with it and you have it. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that it's weird to me how I can think clearly of the stuff that was done. And when they get here, they're not thinking of the fact that the, the government doesn't need, in a world of darkness I'm referring to, doesn't need an excuse anymore than, oh, nearby reservation? Ah, the natives are finally revolting. Authorized going in and handling the problem. And you're screwing them even more. And you're not thinking of that. And why is it perfect? It's a slam dunk for the worm. All it took was one lawyer and talking to a judge and getting this authorized because now we can take care of the kinfolk remains of what the Wendigo had or what the lieutenant think they got yep. and piss them off. And then they're not going to come after us because we're the government. They've had a problem with this forever. But we will go after the other tribes who were supposed to protect them. You have whole um, like government agencies with, with, with people pushing agendas to take out the American Indian movement, this revolution organization that is slowly like uh, you know corrupting and trying to and trying to retaliate against you know this thing that's going on. They they classify them as as basically terrorism. They do the same thing with feminist organizations. The Menads are put in here very specifically as a revolutionary feminist organization. We know who's behind them. We're not dense. We know what's going on there. But what are they doing? They're using it as a front in order to util- in order to manipulate these government agencies into being able to attack these outright. That's the worm's influence. It happens constantly. It's there. And these groups are more than happy to investigate it. You know why? Because it's supernatural. Because it fits right on their plate of this beautiful dinner they're trying to create. Best part about that, most useful part about that to me is that it, it, may, it explains the scope of the problems that werewolves are trying to tackle in a way that you can't really see from the pack perspective. Right. You and your friends get together. You know, you you went through your rite of passage together. You guys grew up together. Sometimes you go fight stuff and kill stuff. And sometimes you kill the wrong stuff and the elders smack your hand. But that doesn't teach you like nothing teaches you what the worm is actually trying to do to your tribe. Like coming back from a victory, thinking you have something to celebrate and all of the cubs are dead. Or. Everything in the bond has been clear cut over the course of a week while you were gone because of something else you did earlier in the game. You know, you know what I mean? And so it, I do project twilight made, made some of what had happened to me in like werewolf games prior make a lot more sense. The, the, the worm is playing chess, not checkers. <laughs> yeah, and, and it has to, right? The whole point of the worm is that it's everywhere and you're losing in the apocalypse, right? It's supposed to feel like an apocalypse. Like everything you do, it, it's supposed to feel tainted. Like it's it's almost hopeless, but you have to persevere. The point of where with the apocalypse is to say that your players, no matter what, can't let that fire die out, that rage that says that this is this is the next thing and I'll conquer that too. And I'll do my part and we will win. We will come out ahead. And you've got to have that in you in order to justify the kind of the theme of the game. But it is the end. That's what they're warring against. And that's, that's inevitable. So the worm has to feel prevalent and all powerful. And that's one of the ways it is, you know, because it takes many forms. And when it comes through and that's how it goes. But to Project Twilight, that's the worm's plight. They actually represent that plight that pursues them. And, um, Real quick, before we move further, I'm just going to make a slight correction. Where I was right about the most wanted list, I had to quickly go back and look at that because it stuck in my head. It's a different book Pup Pid is in, but it's the same example. They have the hook, is what my mind yeah. was thinking of that's in this book. 
on the wanted list. It's, it's basically the same idea, you it know. It's, it's like this handyman or candyman like figure that seems to pop in, pop out as some kind of urban legend, but people keep on showing up dead with these hooks stuck in them. <laughs> dead with these hooks, but in the trope fashion, right? The the lady who reports the 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 story of it. If you haven't heard of it, it's always somebody's at a park necking. Right, and that's making out. Right, you have your girl or your beau, and you're you're in this spot, and you're in the car. It's a nice magical night, and uh, you're you're kissing, everything's great, but the power goes out in the vehicle, and that's weird. And he goes to check the hood of the car, and he tells you to lock the door. Why? It's a little foggy, a little weird when you notice that, a little unease you have. And as the door gets locked, um, he lifts the the hood, and he's trying to check it out, and he tells you to turn the lights on maybe once or twice, and you do so, and he's he's working with it, working with it. And then he tells you he's going to check the trunk. And then he goes around to the back, and then he doesn't come back for 10 minutes. Brad? Brad? Right. Nothing Stop to be said. Stop playing around, Brad. Well, now this hood's up. This isn't and, funny. And you hear that, and you might think the girl would get out, but not in this story. She's too smart for that. She keeps the doors locked. She checks her cell phone, and uh, conveniently enough, the cell phone's got low power or no signal. It's one of the two. And as she sits there, she just decides after about 20 minutes, 30 minutes, that uh, she's going to... Do something. She'll maybe she'll get out the car. Then she hears the scrape. It's the first scrape she hears, and it sounds like metal on metal. And she just sits there frozen because she hasn't heard anything. It's so silent that it's like she can't hear. It's like she's deaf. And so when she hears the scrape, it's magnified. And all she could do is sit there in fear. Well, at that point, signal, no signal, one bar, doesn't matter. She dials 911 and hits and hits send and you know is trying to get a hold of them can't hear them and shit she's mad drops her phone doesn't know what to do and she just hope brad's okay and that he's coming back well everything is terrifying her sounds in the distance sounds going out and she's always hearing that scraping right every time and uh it's it's time she doesn't know why it's so often like somebody's messing with her it's like every every other minute almost to the clock it keeps hearing this scraping doesn't know what it is well as it turns out the next thing she's a car roll up and it flashes the, the lights and it's a cop and you see two other cops come behind her. And she jumps out of the car at that point. And when she jumps out, the cop rushes towards her with a blanket and, and wraps her up and tells her, ma'am, don't look, don't turn around. Just come to the vehicle. What? Just come to the vehicle and don't look. She's like, why? What's going on? My boyfriend's out there. He's like, no, ma'am, just keep following me. And then, of course, the horrible aspect, she gets put in the car and looks. And her would-be fiance is, is hung from a tree by his own entrails. And his hand, where he has the ring on after she said, I do for this encounter, has been the noise scraping against the top of the car the entire time as the wind blew that she sat there and wait. And this is the story of the hook, right? It's the hook that's possessed that goes around and for whatever reason, some psycho escaped from an asylum is how the trope story goes. Urban legends we're talking about. And they're real. And sad to put it on the wanted list because they've had to go to more than a couple of those cases. But easily muddied waters when chasing after werewolves who did similar brutality to their would-be victims and it's left behind. And they didn't have time to clean up or they just didn't bother to. Now, that's not to say werewolves don't have gifts to help clean up. In fact, far from the truth. Uh, the Red Talons are the most notorious. Why? Strangely, the ones that hunt humans the most have the gifts to cover up evidence they did. Because they've experienced the retaliation. If it looks like a wolf slaughtered a bunch of hunters... Guess what? A bunch of hunters come to kill a lot more wolves because it justifies it happened. But if it looks like an accident, and that's the trick, any red talent knows, all right, I'm going to kill this monkey, but how to do it? Hmm. Well, I ripped him apart. There's got to be something I could do. Ah, I know. There's a bear near here. 
I'll drag them near the bear area and they have a gift that helps them fabricate the whole means that might have happened. And, and by the way, they make it to where the bear's not to blame. They make it seem like the hunter chose the camp in a very silly spot and brought food low to the ground. The bear came to eat it. The hunter came out and the bear defended itself. The hunter had rifle in hand and aimed to shoot and the bear swung and ran off, fending for its life. And strangely how authorities view that. It's like, ah, oh, the foolish hunter didn't know any better. The dumbass shouldn't have been out here and he got himself killed. And that's the way the Red Talons intended. And the gift helps with that story. It helps fabricate it all to be believable and move out. But it hammers home a theory. Hey, don't come in my woods. Mm. Right? I will kill you if you come out here is what it was what they're saying through tales and stories. The children of Gaia have a means. And uh, the Glasswalkers, strangely, don't. They have people and influence, but their goal is not that. They're in the business of actually handling the scene to clean it up. Not necessarily relying on a supernal effect. To make it happen. So there's a means and explains why there's this relationship of cat and mouse with the werewolves. Arguably, I would say the werewolves are best hidden. Not only be... Well, the delirium, I'm, I'm going to argue and say uh, that I'm on the side that says the delirium doesn't help them stay hidden. Right? Because the delirium gives them suspicion. The best way to hide from anyone is to not exist. The masquerade's proven that. And on that, on that level, right? Because once they get evidence that you do exist, you're screwed. Which is why another member on the Wanted list is so sought after. They have an actual vampire who, what cracks me up, if the, if these, if the Project Twilight Special Affairs, if the FBI would just turn this list over to any prince in the Camarilla, she'd get red listed. Like that. Right? I think her name's Lulu Hagen. She likes to show up to fancy parties throughout the centuries and blow kisses and make friends with these alleged humans who are hunters. Because somewhere in her past, someone came after her that was a hunter, failed to do it, and she thought it was a bit of fun. And so yep, she. That's why, you, that's why you don't suffer Malkavians. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm telling you right now. You don't do it. But that's, but that's what it is. But it does that too for a lot of it, right? There's someone in here they call like a female Sherlock Holmes sort of character that made the list, but clearly screams a mage. It screams that there's a mage going around having problems, but they even put her on the list. Why? She does shit we can't understand how she did it. She knows things impossible to know. Why does she and how does she? But she always has an answer. And occasionally there was a relationship. And now they're wondering if it's something more sinister. And is it? Tons of stuff. Um, but they have an interesting warning list in here that's great for any game starter. To give you an idea of what they would go after and how to build your own stuff. And go ahead, Nick. You, you know what really bothers me about this top ten list? I'll, I'll be 100% honest with you. Samuel Hate's not on this list. <laughs> that's what bothers me about this. There is no one who more uh, exemplifies all the things that the hunters would be looking for than Samuel Haight. He's too big, Nick. He's too big. He's across all splats. Samuel Haight is everything and nothing, and everywhere and nowhere. (laughs) What I will tell you Samuel Haight is... I don't see uh, like the level of influence that uh, that any organization has in uh, in these different divisions, like whether it's Sabat, Cam, Technocracy, you name it. One of them has got to be like, we need to get the Samuel Hate guy, put him on the list. We will send the hunters after him. You know why? Because he keeps on messing up everybody's plans. <laughs> Dudes of goon. Just one one quick question, fellas. Uh, maybe it's relevant. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But you you forced me to think about it. Would you say, <laughs> especially if you're playing Project Twilight, right, and your players are not some form of extra supernatural, you know, vampires, werewolves, mages, blah blah blah. Do you get more mileage 
out of the tale that is, you know, uh, chase down the werewolves or investigate and figure out where Elysium is tonight or whatever? Or is it those more mysterious urban legend style stories like The Hook um, where you find more so, investment? I, I'll tell you right now, my favorite is like The Hook, but for a different reason completely. I think going after werewolves is pretty cliche. If you're a werewolf player and you're yep. in hunters are coming after you, I think it's different. If your werewolves being hunted by something for Project Twilight, i.e. the werewolves are the players, the NPCs are the hunters, and you're using uh, that, this book will help you in that regard, and you can portray very realistic what's going on. Very cool, very fine, but the focus isn't the investigation, then, is it? No. It's just on the players being chased from, so that's one end. However, if you're in Project Twilight and you're the same werewolf players, but you're not playing werewolves, you're playing agents... You don't want to send them after werewolves that way. You don't. You want to make them earn it. You're going to have a plot that starts on investigating an event. You're never going to call it, hey guys, you're chasing after the werewolves. What you're going to say is, there's a massacre that happened in Chuck E. Cheese. We don't know what it is, but the police went there and it's not some deranged dad or some weird child killer. It's it's far worse. Strangely, a child was killed, but all the parents were and we don't understand what it is. 22 parents died. These children don't remember the incident. And they were all found inside eating pizza amongst the corpses calmly like they couldn't see the scene. We don't know how to handle that. And so we're calling in specialists and specialists of the specialists and enter the players for the first scene. That's how you play Project Twilight. Man, one of the best things they have in here is the uh, the Child of Gaia cult that led to the biggest massacre of agents to date. <laughs> all, it was, all it was was a hippie free love commune that they managed to get a couple of infiltrators into and said, hey, there's something going on here. We don't know what it is, but we need to take a look at it. Suddenly, 30 agents disappear overnight. <laughs> it's an interesting thing, but uh, to, to answer your question like that, Mike, is because what is more interesting to you when you're playing an investigative game? Is it knowing what you're going after and then someone just painting by the numbers how to get there? Or is it that you have to earn your target? The fun of an investigation to me is the hunt. But I have to earn the hunt. I gotta find the clues and hopefully I get them and start to listen and hit me in the head with them too hard. I have the tools and the means to do it or the team to massage and kind of lead to help me get what I want. And the fun aspect then is the side plots and antics we get up to in our way of going after it because no one person is gonna go after the evidence the same way. Right. And it may be we have to do a favor of another agency to even get the next piece in our puzzle, but sends us halfway around the world doing some clandestine activity. Why? We go to that massacre at Chuck E. Cheese and we're able to get a name and a face where there's no name or face left. No one gives a description. The The cameras don't record anything. But one of our agents, Nick, can walk up and touch a pizza box and get a clear image of the, of the cult-like group that was here wearing hoods during this ritual they performed and did it to these kids. And so we have a, have a lead. We can't do the lead until we appease the NSA who says flat out, we can't be caught overseas doing a specific act, but one of ours is caught in a black site that they're keeping over there, um, and it's in Istanbul. Now, we got good relations with those guys, and we can't quite get in there, and we can't tell you what it's about, but we need the guy out of there. We know you have unique skills. What do you mean? Why don't you tell me about that incident? You're asking me to go after a cult that we never heard of until now, but I'm not saying that we have info on I'm not saying we don't have info on but I'm saying if you want my help, you're going to get this guy out. And then I'm all ears to help you in this, this leg of the investigation. You turn around, give a field report, you're off to the next thing your player's got to do. And now you've got a real game, right? Because now that's going to be exciting. How do you handle that? 
I think the uh, I think the biggest detail in this book that that they really hammer home is at no point whatsoever should you really know what you're dealing with until it's too late. Yes, that's the important part. It, like all these clues that you get are filtered, um, with seemingly through the mortal lens, as I like to put it. Like because we approach the world of darkness from a supernatural viewpoint. The books are written from a supernatural viewpoint. This is how you see things. This book completely flips that around and says. Well, you all you have is misinformation. Why do you have misinformation? Because you can't mentally conceptualize the motivations of these supernatural creatures. You don't know what Guru are fighting or why they're fighting them or why they're doing any of the things you do. So you have to mentally conceptualize that through the mortal filter and, and change it into, you know, like whatever they're doing has to have these weird motivations. And, for- and that's the misinformation. And for an that really guides that, it. And for an example of that, just to back up and re- reinforce hardcore at this point in the pod, page 33 of your Project Twilight book, you're going to get to an article that's an in-game prop. And it's from the from the actual desk of, of uh, Martin Fisk, who I believe at this point is the director, uh, security director for it. And yeah, it says it on the sheet. And it's a cool prop where they put like, you know, the logos of SAD and the FBI and federal bureaus on the top of it. And what it says is that uh, Mr. Osborne... Uh, pursuant to our conversation of the 8th, i.e. very official top wanted list they introduce, and they put at the top number 10, and there's a photo, half torn, of a werewolf tearing through some sort of place. And it says unknown. It says a videotape of this lycanthrope was taken by a department store security camera during a recent disturbance in Chicago's financial district. It is of dubious authenticity. If a Kenchlau exists, if, as Kenchlau insists, excuse me, uh, the tape is genuine. The evidence implies a hostility between the vampire and lycanthrope camps. This is a theory which we should investigate further. The lycanthrope pictured here clearly fits the type A physiological model uh, that we have constructed. So until the validity of the, of the rape, excuse me, tape, that's, I need to clean my screen. The validity, of the, the validity of the tape can be uh, ascertained for certain. Uh, the entity should be regarded as a viable target for investigation. Lots of cool lingo done in the sense, you're an agent, this is official. We know enough to be dangerous, we know enough to go on, but we had to construct a model, a physiological model, of what we're pursuing to understand the resources we have to bring to bear for one werewolf. One we know they we know they come in packs. We know there's way more than one, and we know yep. you're not going to be able to handle the one you're going after. You know this isn't Stephen King's silver bullet. Ain't one weird werewolf out in the middle of nowhere hunting cripple kids on bikes. Mm. You know this is a real world difference here. Um, so so that's- yeah, it, and and these guys are also not like the grizzled werewolf hunters that everyone thinks they are. You know where it's like the opening scene from Aliens Two, and they're all in a drop ship, like loading silver bullets into their assault rifles. You know, and getting their armor on, be like, "All right, are you ready for this? I'm ready for this. I was born for this." And then they all just like jump out and pile out and just start laying waste to to uh, to these these different supernatural creatures, knowing everything about them, how they congregate, where they move, what their weaknesses are. None of that. You are just a child fumbling in the dark trying to guess what's in the bowl. And, and with that, that's going to bring our, our take on Werewolf and how to use Project Twilight in that. Naturally, this is, this is issued in here as a release uh, for them, uh, for First Set for Werewolf, and that's why we, we touched on it as, uh, as gently as we are, and we, we went into it, so we'll, like we always do. I want to thank you, Nick and uh, Mike, for coming out to do this, man. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I do appreciate that uh, quite a bit, and I certainly had fun. 
that said, uh, we'll catch you next week as we get back to Requiem when we move to the next uh, next thing in there. Which, fortunately, because it's not in front of me, I don't know, but I'm trusting I will tell you when we announce the podcast as you hear it. I.e., you'll hear it before <laughs> I tell you what it is. So we'll get <laughs> we'll get to where it is next when the line's coming, though. Thanks, folks. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 years of VTM at our email info at 25 years on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25 years VTM or on our website www.25yearsvtm.com. If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade.